familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Nipple pain, slow weight gain, and fussy baby can all be a sign that baby is having a difficult time latching on and effectively breastfeeding. These are also some of the classic symptoms of a tongue and or lip tie. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome back our expert, Katherine Watson-Jenna, an international board certified lactation consultant in private practice in New York City. She is also the author of multiple lactation books and a popular speaker on infant sucking skills. Today, we are chatting about tongue ties and lip ties and their symptoms, treatment, and aftercare. This is the boob group. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva, don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to the Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an international board certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Have you signed up for our weekly newsletter yet? Best thing about it? Have each new Boob Group episode delivered straight to your email inbox every week. That way you'll never miss your next favorite episode. Sign up today on our website. Today, I'm joined by two lovely panelists in the studio. Ladies, will you please introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Julie. I'm 31. I'm an engineer, and I have one daughter, and she is seven months old. And I am Lindsay. I am 31. Um, I am an operations manager, and I have two little ones. I have a three-year-old boy and um, an eight-month-old little girl. Hi, I am... Hi, <laughs> I'm Colina Carruthers. Uh, that was my son, Adam. He is my only son, and I work at a call center uh, and overnights, which is always fun. And both babies are in the studio, and they're currently making goo-goo eyes at each other <laughs> and talking as well. Um, and I'd like to give a shout-out to MJ, our producer. MJ, you want to tell everyone about the virtual panelist program, please? Yes, I do. Um, so not all of you, our listeners, are local to San Diego. Um, not all of you are actually in the country. So um, it's a way for you to join our conversation and be a part of the show, even if you can't be in the studio with us. Uh, we're posting the same questions that we're asking our in-studio panelists. So you can share your experience, give your tips, your opinions. And um, what I'm seeing actually is lots of moms are helping each other. So it's really kind of a cool extension of our show because we're here to help you and you're helping each other. Um, we may even read your comment while we record. And then for participating, you are entered to win a one-month subscription to the Boo Group Club. And um, 
If you want to get more info about the program, just check out our website, theboobgroup.com, under the Community tab for more info. All right. Thanks, MJ. Thank you. Sounds familiar. If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Hi, Boob Group listeners. I'm Lara Adello, a certified lactation educator, volunteer at Best for Babes, and author of The Virtual Breastfeeding Culture. I'm here to answer some of your most common questions about how you can achieve your personal breastfeeding goals without being undermined by cultural and institutional booby traps, such as what to do when your child care provider is not supportive of breastfeeding. Child care support for breastfeeding isn't talked about as much as the other breastfeeding issues, but a recent incident in Toronto brought to light about how much of a factor it is in mom's ability to sustain breastfeeding. A recent study from the CDC examined the relationship between child care provider support for breastfeeding and mother's breastfeeding duration. It found that breastfeeding at six months was significantly associated with child care provider support to feed express breast milk and allow mothers to breastfeed at the child care place before or after work. Compared to mothers who reported fewer than three total supports, mothers who reported five supports were three times as likely to be breastfeeding at six months. Our findings suggest that child care providers' breastfeeding support in the early months may help mothers maintain breastfeeding for longer durations. And it's compelling enough that the Surgeon General, in her call to action to support breastfeeding, makes the recommendation, quote, ensure that all child care providers accommodate the needs of breastfeeding mothers and infants, end quote. The CDC also found that only six of the 50 states have child care regulations requiring the center's quote, encourage and support breastfeeding and feeding of breast milk by making arrangements for mothers to feed their children comfortably on site, end quote. Just six. Now, it's almost certainly the case that many child care providers support nursing moms on their own without being required to by the state, but doesn't the absence of regulation say something about the lack of recognition of this as an issue? We think that is a booby trap. A special thank you to Tanya Lieberman, IBCLC, for writing the Booby Trap series for Best for Babes. Visit bestforbabes.org for more great information about how to meet your personal breastfeeding goals. And check out my book, The Virtual Breastfeeding Culture, for a collection of breastfeeding stories. And be sure to listen to The Boob Group for fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and breastfeeding support. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Today on The Boob Group, we're talking about symptoms, treatment, and aftercare of tongue ties and lip ties. Our expert, Catherine Watson-Jenna, is an international board-certified lactation consultant in private practice in New York City, the author of the book Supporting Sucking Skills in Breastfeeding Infants and Selecting and Using Breastfeeding Tools, as well as a wildly popular presenter at lactation conferences around the world. She is also one of my most favorite experts in the field of lactation. So thanks for joining us, Catherine, and welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, and hi, Robin, and hi, Julie, and Lindsay, and little ones. <laughs> well, so, Catherine, can you explain to us what is a lip tie and an, or an upper lip tie and a tongue tie? Well, a, a tongue tie is when the little membrane under the tongue is tighter than usual or is placed more forward than usual, um, and the same thing can happen to the little fold of skin that holds your lips down, and it the upper lip or the lower lip can be tight, and there can even be some on the sides of the lip. Um, sometimes they're problematic, sometimes they're not. It all depends on how tight it is and how the baby, you know, what else is going on with the baby's anatomy and the mom's anatomy. Okay. So ladies in the studio, did your child have a tongue tie, lip tie, or both? Julie? Uh, my daughter had both that were actually diagnosed separately. Okay, and how about you, Lindsay? Um, my daughter actually has a lip tie, an upper lip tie. Okay, not a tongue tie. Then. Not a tongue tie. Okay, all right. Catherine, is this something new that we are noticing about breastfeeding babies? Are tongue ties and lip ties now more common than they used to be, or are we just hearing about them more frequently? We're really not sure about that. Uh, Diane Wiesinger is the first person to publish that tongue tie and lip tie can go together, by the way, in uh, the early 1990s. Um, and many of us notice that a baby who has one is more than likely to have the other, but not always, of course. Um, we've, the human race has been treating tongue ties in many different cultures for thousands of years. So it's possible that we've just been treating it for so long and then we dropped it in the 1930s and 40s when uh, birth moved into the hospital and breastfeeding fell apart under the, you know, every four hours and just one breast <laughs> for two minutes the first day sort of, you know, things, bad advice became the norm and uh, more people started to bottle feed because they just couldn't make a milk supply with that poor early market research. Okay. So we're not sure if we've just seeing more because we've been treating it for so long that babies have survived with tongue tie and are passing it on, or if there's something in the environment that's problematic. Okay. And I do want to welcome one more panelist to the show, Kalina. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you back. Great. Um, so, Catherine, one more question for you before we ask our panelists a few questions. Um, so, what are some signs that a baby has a tongue tie, and does do these signs, are they different when a baby has an upper lip tie? Okay. Um, some, some signs of a tongue tie are nipple pain, a baby who can't stay on the breast or has a lot of difficulty latching on the breast, especially after day two or three when the breast starts to get fuller. Some babies with tongue tie can latch on just fine that first day or two in the hospital, and then they go home, mom's milk starts to really increase, and her breasts get firmer, and then the baby has a lot of difficulty. Um, another sign is a clicking noise when the baby nurses, kind of like, and that's caused by the tongue trying to lift up and then being pulled back by the little frenulum, the little membrane, uh, and that 
that can make, um, you know, allow air into the baby's mouth, and some babies will swallow a lot of air. Uh, lip tie, baby may not be able to turn their upper lip out a little bit. You, um, you want to see the teeniest bit of red when the baby latches on. If you only see white and the upper lip is tucked in, they may have a bit of a lip tie. Um, we, we're not sure if lip ties matter more if the baby has a short jaw. Dr. Linda Dahl, one of our local ENTs who has a lot of expertise in treating tongue tie, feels that if the baby has a short lower jaw, the lip tie is much more of a hindrance to latching and staying latched than if the baby has a more normal jaw. Ah, that's super interesting because sometimes those upper lip ties make a huge difference and other times you wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So ladies, what were the signs that your baby had a tongue or a lip tie? Julie, you want to start? Um, for the tongue tie, there were a few signs. Um, she latched fine, but we noticed that she she didn't quite gain at the rate that she should have been. Um, she was nursing pretty much constantly, um, like 20 times a day she would be nursing um, just because she couldn't get enough milk because of the tongue tie. So it, it was just kind of a little at a time, and, and she was able to maintain her weight but not really get quite enough. Um, she There was a lot of nipple pain. Um, she would gum my nipples quite a bit, so uh, it was a rather painful experience for me and um and I think there might have been a little bit of the clicking but I didn't really know at the time it was it was kind of hard to know um and then for her lip tie um she was tucking her lip under but I didn't even I didn't even know to look for that until um when I visited you for a lactation consultation and you identified it right away (laughs) okay and was that causing you pain as well Julie the lip tie, yes. Yeah, yes. from the yeah. top. Okay. Mm-hmm. Julie, your experience is really, really common. Um, Donna Getty's research showed that babies got twice as much milk after their tongue tie was corrected when they were breastfeeding. So many babies breastfeed very poorly, and they, they go into that continuous feeding pattern to try to make up for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely remember that. <laughs> um, how about you, Lindsay? Um, well... I actually um, had a lot of nipple pain. She latched fine. She nursed fine. She clearly gains weight, no problem. (laughs) Um, She's a little chunker, Kathy. (laughs) Um, But I was, my nipples just felt when she would, when she would latch on, it it felt like somebody was sticking needles in them. And, um, and I actually was at a baby shower with MJ one day and was telling her about this problem. And she looked and she said, oh, well. You know, she's probably got a lip tie. Yeah. Um, future. And- <laughs> future lactation <laughs> consultant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and since then, I, I looked into it, and, and a lot of the things she does when she's nursing, she doesn't she doesn't um, flip her lip out, and um, and she only nurses on the very tip, and that, that showed me that, you know, yeah, she definitely does have it. Um, and, you know, I just kind of dealt with the pain and, and just let her – since she was gaining so much weight, I didn't feel like it was necessary to, to do anything about it. Okay. Um, so, Catherine, how, how is a lip tie and a tongue, or, and a tongue tie diagnosed? Uh, many, many practitioners have different ways of diagnosing, but they're usually by how much the tongue can move around the mouth for the tongue and how much um, the lip tie indents the upper gum. 
if there's a deep indentation in the gum and the tie's gone between the two halves of the gum, it, it'll often cause a gap between the teeth. And we think that treating it in infancy may prevent that. As for tongue tie, uh, we want to look at all of the tongue movements. We want to look at the baby's ability to lift up the tongue, bring it side to side, and stick it out. Um, other practitioners will gently press down on the floor of the mouth or drag a finger across the mouth at the very back of the tongue to see if their finger will pass across and the frenulum will just kind of pop out of the way like a little speed bump or if it's a big fence and you have to come around it. And uh, Jim Murphy uses that language and his, his evaluation is very helpful. Okay. And does a t- tongue tie or lip tie always negatively affect breastfeeding? Is there, is there such thing as a slight tongue tie? Yeah, sure. Sure, sure. There are slight tongue ties. If mama has really elastic breasts, a good milk supply, and nipples that, that stick out easily, it's easier for a tongue-tied baby than if mama has softer nipples, flatter nipples. Um, so there's, there's the mommy part of the equation too. And, you know, some frenula are more stretchy than others. A stretchier frenula, even if it's close to the tongue tip, is going to be much less of a problem than a really tight one even further back toward the base of the tongue. Okay. So it's not a matter of how far necessarily it comes to the tip that would indicate how, how much of a challenge it might be with breastfeeding. It's really assessing how capable the baby is at removing milk and, and also making sure mom's not in pain and stuff like that. Exactly. Okay. And what else can cause trouble moving the tongue or staying on the breast? We know that that's not always an indication of a tongue tie. It could be some other things going on. Absolutely. Pinched nerves can give problems uh, moving the tongue. The hypoglossal nerve is the nerve that um, causes a lot of tongue movement, and it goes out from the very base of the skull, and sometimes during birth one of them can get pinched on one side or the other. Um, Having a tight neck, some babies get kind of stuck in utero the last few weeks of life, and they can wind up with one side of the neck a lot tighter than the other, and that has effects on how the jaw and tongue function as well. And with those babies, you'll see that they can move their tongue to the side much more easily on one side than the other. And also, you know, babies with a little bit of neurological issues or babies that are very tiny may have some more difficulty um, latching and breastfeeding babies with a large tongue. So there are lots and lots of reasons. So we want to be really careful to rule out all those other things um, before we, uh, you know, say that uh, the breastfeeding problem is from a tongue tie. Okay. And so for babies who do have tightness in the neck, torticollis, things like that, do you often recommend that they try body work first to see if that resolves it? Absolutely. Absolutely. If the frenulum is all the way to the tip of the tongue in a, in a baby who has torticollis, then, you know, that baby may really benefit from having the tongue tie treated as well as getting body work. But uh, for a baby who it's further back and it's more questionable, having body work first seems to be really helpful. It doesn't seem to be helpful enough to just treat the tongue tie when the baby seems to have both tongue tie and torticollis. Okay. And for body work, do you have a particular type of body work that you recommend? Well, my my local person with magic hands happens <laughs> to be a pediatric chiropractor. Okay. But some people really love physical therapists, craniosacral therapists, occupational therapists, 
massage therapists. There are many, many people with expertise that, um, you know, that can do an amazing job with babies. So basically you find your person in your own area who, who has the best expertise. Okay, wonderful. Well, when we come back, we will discuss how a tongue tie and lip tie, um, how we treat them as well as the aftercare for them if a parent decides to treat them. So we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the show. We are talking with Katherine Watson-Jenna about about tongue ties, their symptoms, their treatment, and their aftercare. So, Catherine, if a parent decides to have his or her tongue tie or lip tie revised, what is the difference between using laser or scissors for revision? And is one method better than the other, or does it just um, depend on the practitioner? Yeah, I think it depends strongly on the practitioner. But each each technique also has its cases where it, it's I think it's superior. Scissors are fast. And, uh, the ba- you know, it's, it's done in a, a fraction of a second. Laser takes a little bit more time. So uh, the baby has to be held still for longer. And that, you know, may be a little stressful for some babies. We really don't know a lot about pain other than some studies show babies, like, don't really cry very much. And other studies show that uh, babies do seem to be cranky after. Um, that depends a lot on the baby. But I do see a little bit more feeding refusal by babies who have lasers done by certain doctors. Other doctors have very, very low uh, feeding refusal, and we think it has to do with the type of lasers. Hot lasers burn more tissue. Um, I'm really excited about the carbon dioxide laser. It seems to do a very, very gentle job and hurt very little of the surrounding tissue. So we're starting to see some really good results. Some of the some of the people I know from the IATP are experimenting with that now. Um, and then um, laser also seems to be really helpful when we're revising a, an old phrenotomy that has a lot of scar tissue because the laser gets through the scar tissue more readily. Okay. One of the, the things I've noticed with laser for upper lip tie, too, is that the practitioner often will clear off the gums as well, so that um, I'm curious if it ends up that the baby's teeth end up coming in um, not with such a gap as they may have if that piece was still there. But I know we probably don't have that information yet. Yeah, we we really need so much more research, but uh, certainly if it's the frenulum between the gums that's causing the te- that's preventing the teeth from coming together, if we vaporize that frenulum with the laser, then we can uh, allow that bone to grow together and the teeth to come together in midline. Okay, that's the hope. That I exactly. Um, all right, ladies. So, did you have your baby's tongue tie or lip tie revised? We kind of talked about that a little bit. Did your practitioner use um, laser? or scissors? Um, Kalina, we'll start with you. 
All right. Um, we did have ours revised, um, both of them, right away. And uh, they used scissors as far as I know. I didn't look. I couldn't. <laughs> I think I was more traumatized than my son was because he didn't cry at all. Um, it was really fast. They brought him right over. He latched, um, breastfed fine, and he you know, he didn't have any kind of issues as far as not wanting to eat or anything like that. So it went really well for us. And how old was he? Uh, that was the day after he was born. So Okay, super quick. How about you, Julie? Um, yeah, we had both revised. Um, as I said, they were diagnosed separately, so we had them done separately. The first time was with scissors. Um, our pediatrician actually did it. And for my personal experience, actually, it, the scissors was not very quick. He actually ended up having to cut three different times to, to get in there enough. And it was as you said, very traumatic for me. I was pretty much sobbing right next to her, you know, because they had to hold her down. And um, she nursed right away afterwards and and was fine. Um, and then we went to a pediatric dentist for the um, upper lip tie, um, and he used a laser. And he actually also re-revised her tongue tie as well because there was some scar tissue there. And with a laser, he's, he could just kind of get more more of it Um, and that was actually very fast just because he's kind of an expert on the subject so um, and it was also a little gentler just in how he did it he had um, dad lay down in a chair and hold and hold her so you know she was a little more comfortable Um, and she again nursed right away afterwards and I think there might have been a little crankiness there later that day, but generally she recovered from both pretty quickly. And Julie, how old was your daughter for each of those procedures? Um, I think I think she was two weeks for the tongue tie and four weeks for the for the lip and tongue tie. Okay. And Lindsay, you ended up not doing the revision of the upper lip tie. No. Um, by the time we figured out what it was, I I felt like we had established such a good breastfeeding routine, um, and just the thought of you know, um, of cutting her or, or doing the laser. I know everyone, you know, it's it's the moms who have the harder time. I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah, well, you guys were already at a point where things had really resolved, so. And, and you know, I felt like she's she's gaining the weight. She's nursing fine. Um, my biggest thing is, is the nipple pain. And I still, I still get it, um, but I try and do certain, you know, techniques to try and help that. There's no guarantee that the nipple pain would go away if you did revise it. You know, um, success rates run from about 50 to 90%, depending on, you know, which study. So there's no 100% guarantee. So if your baby's thriving and and you can tolerate it and you're not getting damaged, um, that certainly is, you know, uh, not a bad decision. Absolutely. I also see it, it with the studies, it would be hard to see because I think it's also practitioner wise too. Like we definitely have a lower yeah. percentage of success rate from particular practitioners and a much higher one from different ones. And mm-hmm. I think it just kind of depends on that as well. Absolutely. Um, so Catherine is, or actually MJ, did I you did. have something you wanted to share I real did. quickly? I had a, um, I had a VP, uh, Stephanie Ackley. She said that she had her son's upper lip tie and posterior tongue tie revised at about seven or eight weeks old um, she said it was misdiagnosed and uh, by the midwife the PCP ENT the lactation consultant speech therapist um, she said she called around and found a dentist who was familiar with the tongue tie and lip tie made an appointment and he was seen within a week they had uh, revised via the laser 
no anesthesia and it took five minutes and he got to nurse right after okay yep very cool um Catherine so speaking of healing time does it differ between practitioners whether they use a laser or a scissor yes absolutely it seems to take between three and seven to ten days for for the phrenotomy site to completely heal depending on how deep it is if they need to snip into the floor of the mouth and we get that big diamond uh, that takes longer. That's more on the 7 to 10 days for that to completely heal over. And if it's just a little snip of a straight frenulum, that will heal much more quickly. You'll just get a little white line that will heal within a few days. Okay. And how would a parent find the best practitioner to do this revision in their community? Is this something that baby's pediatrician can do? We have a lot of pediatricians in San Diego who are doing these now, or is it more preferred to find some, I mean, do they look on Yelp? How, how do they know who the best people are? I wish we had a Yelp for this. That's a really good idea, Robin. Um, word of mouth. Talk to your local Leche League leader, your lactation consultant, um, Diana West and Lisa Morosco on their low milk supply. Is it .com or .org? I always get confused. Um, website have a uh, list of practitioners that people have had really good results with who do uh, phrenotomies. Um, you know, really look around because, yes, it's a really simple procedure and pretty much anyone can do it. But then there's, do they do enough? Do they do it gently? Do they, you know, how much do they burn the baby or, or you know what I'm saying? We just want to have it done as gently and expertly as possible. Okay. And what happens during a revision procedure? So we've been talking all about it. What actually goes on during this process? Well, practitioners vary, but most practitioners will use some sort of pain relief or pain prevention. Um, if it's a really thin frenulum, then there's no nerves in it, and it won't hurt the baby, so they don't need to use anything. But if it's thicker, some doctors will rub on an anesthetic gel, a local anesthetic gel. Some will inject it um, if it's going to be a longer procedure. Um, and then they do either a snip or two or three with the scissors. Sometimes it does take a couple of snips to get to the entire frenulum. Um, or they will use the laser and kind of paint the light back and forth over the area that they want to vaporize, and the laser actually um, explodes the cells. It heats the water and explodes the cells, and um, laser usually creates its own blood clotting and if it's done by scissor they'll usually press a piece of gauze over the spot for you know a few seconds to a few minutes to just stop any bleeding okay ladies um was your baby fussy after the procedure and if yes for how long um kalina you want to go first sure um it was a little hazy because <laughs> it was so soon, um, but I don't really remember very much fussiness. Um, he was still kind of in that sleepy stage, and so he just kind of nursed and snuggled up and went back to sleep. Okay. How about you, Julie? Um, well, for the um, the second time with the laser, she we the pediatric dentist was actually about 80 miles away, so it was a kind of long car trip back, and she actually slept the entire time right after, so she was not, not at all fussy. 
It's okay. A lot better than I thought it would be. Oh, good, good, good. And she nursed once you guys got home? Um, well, she nursed right after while mm-hmm. we were still in the office, and then, yeah, and then after we got home. Okay. Um, Catherine, let's talk a little bit about aftercare. Um, what are some options for aftercare that are recommended after a tongue tie or lip tie procedure? Okay. Um, many people are advocating lifting the tongue or stretching or actually rubbing in the incision um, to try to prevent scarring. Scarring is a real issue. When, when, when I, we, I started out as an IBCLC 20 years ago, we poo-pooed the, the idea of scarring, but we actually have really seen that it can happen. So um, all wounds contract as they heal. So there's always going to be some contraction um, as the baby heals. And we want to kind of minimize that uh, by having the baby mobilize the tongue a lot. Breastfeeding is like the very best thing that mom can do because the baby continues using their tongue properly while they breastfeed. Uh, I think that um, in my own practice, moms who haven't established breastfeeding yet and are still bottle feeding the baby as they heal, um, it don't get as good a result. And then many practitioners are recommending lifting the tongue or stretching the area. Um, Some things that seem to help, uh, Leslie Stern, who's another lactation consultant, uh, recommends dipping your finger in ice water so it's really cold, and babies tend to like that on the wound if you're stretching the wound. Um, Or lifting the tongue when the baby's sound asleep, kind of rubbing their little lips so that they'll open their mouth, rubbing their little gums so they'll let you in, and then lifting up the tongue with with two fingers for about three seconds is what Jim Jim Murphy uh, was recommending last I talked to him. So um, people that do a lot of phrenotomies really think that there are better outcomes when there is some sort of lifting or stretching done as it's healing for at least a week or two. And you had mentioned um, for the families that are still working on breastfeeding and are doing a lot of bottles, do you f- and may not have as quick of a result or as, as, as successful as a result, you know, after the procedure. Do you find it's the same thing with mom's wheezing nipple um, shields as well? You know, I haven't investigated that, Robin. Okay. I was just curious. A lot of moms are really nervous about using that afterwards, and I wasn't sure if the tongue worked much differently when it was just bare breast or nipple shield. I'll have to look at our ultrasounds again. I have some of babies uh, nursing with nipple shields, so we'll have to take a look at that. Okay, sounds good. Um, And our last question for you, um, which I guess is the million-dollar question that I get all the time from my families when I'm recommending these procedures, are there lasting implications if the tongue tie or lip tie is not released? So if a parent decides, you know what, things are going okay, I'm just going to wait it out and see if everything's okay, um, are do we worry about tooth decay, speech issues, eating solid mm-hmm. food challenges, et cetera, that if it's not done, that it might increase risks for these? Yeah. For lip ties, we have very little data. Um, Larry Cotlow uh, published a, uh, a short case series of babies that swallowed a lot of air that improved after their lip tie was treated. Um, but for the tongue tie, there's a lot of information uh, babies with tongue ties that go to 
close to the tip of the tongue are more at risk for speech difficulties. Um, and babies that have tongue tie may have more swallowing problems. They may have more difficulty gaining weight when they have to start transitioning to eating textured food, solid food. Um, babies with a posterior tongue tie may have a, a lisp when they learn to speak, a little bit extra sibilance on their S's. Um, and the dental decay may be associated with not being able to get your tongue around your mouth to clean your teeth in between brushing. So really careful dental hygiene um, if, you're not, if you have a tongue-tied child who you haven't treated. The things we worry about most are the structure of the mouth. Um, when a baby doesn't have a tongue-tie, their normal sucking helps spread their mouth while they're breastfeeding and it spreads the palate and that spreads the nasal airway and that may reduce the baby's risk of sleep apnea and make room for the teeth. And when the baby has a tongue tie, they use their tongue in unusual ways that don't produce that same amount of spreading because the tongue can't press up on the roof of the mouth and it can't press the breast up on the roof of the mouth the same way. So um, sleep apnea is a really huge problem in our culture right now. I remember reading something about there was a, an increased rate of adult males getting their tongue ties released because of sleep apnea as adults, like 40, 50, or 60-year-old men, um, because it made a difference. At that point, the palate is already, is already fused. So really the time to work on the palate is, is um, around puberty, before uh. puberty. So uh, if you choose not to get the baby's tongue tie uh, released and the palate does become, you know, does stay narrow, you can always have a maxillary expansion done uh, when the child is 10, 11, 12 years old. That's a procedure done by the orthodontist and it's not comfortable, but it does give you a second chance to widen the dental arch in the airway. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, and to our lovely panelists uh, for joining us in this conversation about tongue ties and lip ties. Uh, plus, for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of the show as we will discuss if it is common for breastfeeding issues to arise later on if a tongue tie or lip tie is not revised. For more information about the Boob Group Club, please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey there, Boop Group. My name is Denise Altman, and I am a private practice IBCLC, otherwise known as a registered lactation consultant. Private practice means I have my own business, and I specialize in prenatal education and breastfeeding support. This session is about prenatal prep to breastfeeding, something I definitely have an opinion about. First off, it's all about the birth in the very beginning. So this is something that you should be thinking about from early on. Don't wait till your third trimester to start preparing for birth. 
think about what your dreams are, what your hopes are. How do you imagine your birth occurring? What is the scenario? How long do you think it will take for your baby to be born? How do you know if your imagination and your dreams are going to equal reality? Uh, What do you know about birth and where did you learn it? This is something that most women dream about when they start thinking about becoming a mother, but sometimes it doesn't go beyond the dreaming phase. It's your job to educate yourself and your partner so that you are prepared when that day comes. I hope this information on this session can get you started on exploring your options. For additional tips on choosing a breastfeeding class, birth prep, prenatal breastfeeding prep, please visit my website at FeatureBaby.com and keep listening to The Boot Group. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, parent savers for moms and dads with newborns, infants, and toddlers, and Twin Talks, our show for parents of multiples. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.